0: In the last few years, Vizient has focused on the inequities present in healthcare across the country. All too often, a patient's zip code dictates the kind of care that person will get. On this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll discuss the importance of documenting and reporting social determinants of health, or SDOH, as a way to help address these inequities. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient. And joining me for this discussion is Rachel Mack and Connie Ryan. Rachel, Connie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Tom. Thank you so much, Tom.
0: So, Rachel, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Vizient.
1: Of course. My name is Rachel Mack, and I am one of the consulting directors of CDI here at Vizient. I am a registered nurse by background, and my experience is primarily in CVICU and ICU. I got into the lovely world of clinical documentation improvement in 2012 at a medium-sized hospital here in Colorado. From that point on, in the same healthcare system, I transitioned to CDI educator and auditor. I've also worked in the CDI technology space for two years, but I've been with Visient since 2020. And in the CDI consulting space, we do a little bit of everything from teaching new CDI specialists to training up experienced CDI specialists using our Visient mortality calculator. We also coach physicians across the country on how best to improve their CDI programs. And we also create a lot of the education for our online platforms. Connie, how about
0: you?
2: Hi, thanks, Tom. I am a registered nurse by training as well. My background is in acute care and critical care, and that's in the adult setting. I always specify that with folks. But I've been in clinical documentation improvement or integrity full-time since 2014. I did some of it before then in the quality space, but been consulting since 2016 and been at Vizient for just over a year now.
0: Well, thank you both. So let's level set here. Briefly, what's your viewpoint on what inequities exist in healthcare today?
2: That's a great question. There are a couple of different ways to look at it. There's a high level perspective on that, and that is just the overall imbalance in power that exists in society. On a smaller scale, something that's more community based. What it really boils down to is a lot of the inequities that exist are focused around, and I think I'm probably stealing your thunder leading into your next question, are focused around those social determinants of health. The things that we know exist, socioeconomic factors that's been long established that can contribute to those inequities in healthcare.
1: I'll weigh in because I've got a story for everything. So, Tommy, you kind (laughs) of asked the right question. I'll give you an example, I think, an interesting example of healthcare inequity that many of our listeners may be able to relate to. So, my father is a Vietnam veteran who lives in a smaller western Colorado town. So, because he is a veteran and because he's 78 years old, he has excellent healthcare coverage with VA first and Medicare as a backup. So, you would think, oh, he probably has excellent healthcare, right? Despite this, because of his location in a more rural part of our state, there are not specialties for every little thing when it comes to medicine. So recently it's come up that he's got an unusual looking spot on his skin that his VA physicians want to have looked at by a dermatologist. However, the area he lives in does not have a full-time dermatologist. So they schedule out his appointments to see a derm at the hospital, and that dermatologist is only in town, I believe the last I heard was every one to three months. So this is an example of that environmental issue, one of the many examples, right, of an environmental issue or a health inequity related to location. Many people, because of their age or limited access or no access to a car, which is kind of crazy to think about here in America, they have trouble making it to an appointment that's 10 minutes away, let alone needing to go see a specialist that's two, three, four hours away in a bigger city. So I never thought that my dad would experience something like this, but here we are. And one of the quotes that Connie and I are going to reference in our upcoming Actis presentation. It's just super interesting. Here's the quote. In the long run, housing may be more important to health than hospitals. What is our health the result of? 20% of the nation's health is the result of medical care. 5% is the result of biology and genetics. 20% is the result of individual actions. And over 50% is caused by social determinants of health. So just super interesting.
0: That's a great quote. And truth is, one thing that I've been often quoted myself as saying, this is probably one of the many dirty little secrets that actually came out in reference to our industry because of the pandemic.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I love that quote. I hate to say quotes like that because uh, when it comes to exercise and eating well, I think we all like to think that we own a little bit more of that. It can make right choices. But truly, location and housing seems to be a big contributor of this because you can't go on a walk or a run if you don't feel safe. You can't go see a dermatologist if it's four hours away, et cetera.
0: Let's establish some clarity because I know what I mean by social determinants of health, but what are social determinants of health and how does that differ from that of a medical diagnosis? I think we spoke about it, but let's be more clear about it.
2: Yeah, so there's actually a formal definition for social determinants of health, and they are defined as the conditions in the environments, so just like Rachel said, where people are born, live, learn, work, play, worship, age. So. Basically, it's where you live your life. They're all of those things that we wouldn't typically consider to be health-related factors, but they absolutely have an impact on people's health status.
0: So race has nothing to do with it?
2: It does, yeah. Actually, race is not actually included in there in that list, but if you look at it from a broader perspective, does race impact all of those other things? It absolutely can.
1: And Tom, interesting to this, social determinants of health diagnoses are quite different than medical diagnoses, but they really go hand in hand. For instance, if you are a patient and you're in the hospital and you meet the criteria for, let's say, less than a high school diploma, education, or illiteracy or low-level literacy, and those codes are Z55.5 and Z55.0 respectively, how well do you think that person is going to be able to read and digest their discharge instructions from the hospital? Let's say they have to start three new medications after a surgery. These are questions I think that we are just now starting to care about and really dive into because everything seems to be
0: interconnected
1: and multi-layered at this
0: point. So why now? Why is this getting all this attention now?
2: That's an interesting question. Social determinants of health as a concept, it's not new, actually. And one of the things that Rachel and I talk about when we present this is I kind of give a mini history lesson to folks with the hope that they won't get out and walk out of the room. We do a mini history lesson and basically the conversations around social determinants of health actually started back in the 60s with the civil rights movement. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. But that terminology that's kind of attached to them, it comes out of the Whitehall study. And Dr. Michael Marmot, who is an epidemiologist and researcher, he was one of the co-authors of the Whitehall study, and he and his fellow researcher coined that term, social determinants of health, and he actually wrote a book about it. I think this has been building for decades, honestly, and people are finally starting to realize that it's the social inequities that create the healthcare inequities, And when you start looking at healthcare the way a lot of us look at it as a civil right, then I think it changes people's perspectives on it. And as far as why it's getting a lot more attention now, there have been some reports published. The World Health Organization has been very vocal about this. I think it's probably been getting more attention in other parts of the world than it has here in the U.S. But I will say that we are happy to see that it's getting more attention.
0: So why is it important that we actually now seek out this information and even have a robust reporting process?
2: Here's really what it boils down to is a lot of what we look at, and this is what people don't necessarily realize with clinical documentation integrity, a lot of it's claims based. So in order for it to show up on a claim, it has to be documented. And then that documentation has to be translated into an ICD-10 diagnosis code. You cannot improve what you don't measure. Basically, the old quote is that you can't manage what you don't measure. And if we ever hope to improve this, we've got to measure it. We've got to get a baseline and then we've got to focus our efforts in the right direction and then go from there and then see, is it helping? Is what we're doing improving it?
1: I could not agree with what Connie said any more. I just, I feel like we all have a lot of high horses when it comes to CDI encoding, but we don't know what we don't code. And this is why accurate documentation and a strong CDI encoding program is of uh, utmost importance at the end of the day.
0: Are there other areas saying value base? I think I overheard that maybe HEDIS moving forward will be asking for this kind of information as well.
2: It's coming. For folks who listen to the CMS webinars, which it might not be a thrilling way to spend your time, but they can have some really great information in them. Last year, when they were talking about the changes coming to quality measures for the, I believe it was for the IQR reporting of social determinants of health, it's going to be voluntary for 2023, but there's a proposal kind of waiting out there in the wings that reporting of social determinants of health will be becoming mandatory in the future.
0: I can certainly see that. So what are some of the more interesting coding guidelines and or coding in clinics related to social determinants of health?
2: So for me, the big one is that these do not have to be documented by a physician. These can be documented by really any member of the patient care team. So a social worker, a case manager, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, nursing, anybody who might have access to that knowledge can document those things.
0: Great job, ladies. And we'll continue our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Rachel and Connie at their email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at We've posted a link in our resource section as well. And please join us for other modern practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thanks for listening.